The church is alive and well, isn't it? It really is alive and well, and generation to generation, and I'm so glad. Uh, they probably wouldn't be, but I'm so glad the people who gave me a chance to speak for the first time. I mean, it was awful. I mean, I'm not sure it's much better now, but it was really awful then. And uh, people gave me opportunities to, to participate in the life of the church who saw something in me and said, have a go. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's funny. When you're a kid, you think you're really good, don't you? <laughs> and then you're older, you look back, you think, oh, I was awful. Why are they? Um, and I'm just so grateful for the, the you know, the generations of church. I, I love looking around and seeing the generations. And Ruth, you mentioned your four-year-old there being fed grapes. Yeah, and I was just, it was a delightful image of the church, what we do across generations, ages, demographics. That's why you can spot the church. It doesn't look like a normal group of people because we have an eclectic mix of people that love Jesus. And that's, that's what should mark out the church, not our uniformity, not that we all look the same. But our unity, and so um, thank you for having Lottie and I with you. It's been an absolute pleasure to make us feel so welcome. Uh, we we do say this, Lottie and I. Uh, we often say they are much nicer up north. <laughs> I mean, is this being recorded? If it is, I, I was just being kind. <laughs> and, it's true. Honestly, we have had so much good hospitality and we've got a lot of friends. Uh, we relate to um, Stuart and I in Bell in Lincoln and their ground level network. And so we've got lots of connections around the sort of Nottingham, Lincolnshire area. And we always get really well looked after. And uh, Chesterfield, the guys at Icon Church there and stuff, we've always been really well blessed. And then we go back south and um, we're lock your doors, everyone. Uh, <laughs> oh, I've got someone coming around in a month's time. Oh, dear. Uh, no, it's not quite as bad as that. I'm exaggerating. And, and not only did you make us feel welcome, you let us win the quiz. I mean, I mean, uh, I'm not sure. All we needed was one person, to be honest with you. That was Mark. Um, I answered three questions. Mark did the rest. Um, I don't think it was, uh, it, yes, it was nothing to do with the quantity. Noise, we had the noise volume. We had that fixed, didn't we? Yeah, a cheering team. We're well up there. Uh, amazing, but thank you. Whoever gets 100% on the quiz, that's amazing. There's a, there, yeah, there's a moment there we're going to remember for a long time. Anyway, that's not what we're here for, but it has been really good to be with you. <laughs> it's what we're here, okay. And I, this is what I love about the weekends away, and, and as a church, we're about to go away to one in, um, in September, and it, it builds the church. It builds community. And it isn't just, yes, of course, Word of God, absolutely rock solid, important. Our worship and communion in just a moment, we'll use that table for its proper purpose um, rather than trying to sell books. Uh, but there's something around the church when it just eats together, when it just hangs out together, when it just, you know, with all of our mess and slightly awkwardness and different ways of doing things and preferred way of living, and we all come into one space for 48 hours and we learn more about each other. We learn more about God together. And, it's, and, and your church will be healthier because of this weekend. I'm not prophesying. It's just true. <laughs> it's true. Your church will be healthier because you spent time together this way. So I want to spend a few moments this morning um, talking about influence. Influence. Um, it's the last part in the, the book that, that we've been covering, Simply Church. But I just think it's, it's really significant that we understand the influence that we carry. And I think we're so quick to forget. We're so quick to forget that the same power that conquered the grave 
lives in you and me. And then we go out into the real world and we, so we feel a bit awkward and uncomfortable. We don't ask for anything. We don't want to be a nuisance. We are the sons and daughters of the king of kings. And there's a beautiful story of a, of a young lad who was in Washington. And he came across a soldier who was sitting on a bench in tears. And this young lad said, what's happened? And the soldier said, I, I want to go home to my parents but I can't get leave from the army unless I get permission from the president of America because otherwise I'll be going AWOL. And the lad says, that's not a problem. Come with me. And this young lad marches his kid up into the White House, takes him through security, walks past all the guards, past the security service. He walks into the Oval Office and says, Dad, this guy needs your help. And Abraham Lincoln says, sit down to the soldier. Let's see what we can do. Now, if you're the son, it's not a big deal, is it? I can fix anything. My dad's a president. It's like we've got this down. And yet we're the sons of the king of kings. And he's so much more powerful than any president or prime minister. And yet we feel like we have to kind of like beg for anything. And maybe if we fast for 40 days and 40 nights, we might have a chance that God will say yes to our requests. And our influence needs to start from our identity. I wonder if, if you disappeared tomorrow, would your neighbours notice? Would your colleagues notice? Hopefully your family would notice. If your church disappeared tomorrow, would your community notice? The influence we carry is huge and sometimes we don't know what we've got until it's gone. And I just want to speak about influence because I believe that people are incredible. When God made the heavens and the earth in Genesis, he made it all. He stood back and went, it's good. It's good. I'm pleased with what I've made. And people are incredible. You think about what people have achieved. Humanity has achieved. You know, when they've put their minds to work, when they've shared their ideas, and they've turned dreams into reality by working with others it's amazing what you can do. From farming, moon landings, closing doors automatically. <laughs> We're amazing. And we split atoms. I mean, seriously, an atom. You can't even see it. Let alone, how does that even work? From technology. We've done incredible things. And sometimes we forget what's possible. I think it was rooted to me this morning, something would have taken six months, took 48 hours because of the COVID situation. And I know that people were very suspicious of, of um, the vaccinations that came around early. And how can they possibly create things so quickly? And uh, we've got a friend of ours in the church, um, Dr. Ali Munro, who is part of the uh, AstraZeneca uh, sort of development which is not that hard because I think hundreds of people were involved in the development. Of, but he had a part particularly around children. He's a pediat pediatrician and specialises in um, viruses. And he said, this has been great for my career. <laughs> he's like early 30s and he's now got over 50,000 followers on, on Twitter. Um, you can look him up if you want to. Alastair Munro, he's brilliant. It's been so useful to have that kind of level of knowledge in the church. But when I asked him the question, and I interviewed him early on in the, the pandemic, and we put it online, and I asked him the question, how can it be so quick? How have you done this so quickly? And he said, it's simple, really. Normally, when you try and put together a, a vaccine, you have to apply for funding. That takes months, if not years. 
He said, if you get the application through and you get the funding, you have to put everything into place. And the red tape and the process takes ages. If you want to do trials, you have to put, do all kind of reports. So here's why, how we're going to do the trials. Here's why we're doing the trials. You know, here's the process. And then you do the animal trials. And then you get that through. He said, and then you've got to prove you can do human trials. And everything just takes time and money. And at the same time, there's a whole lot of commercial aspects. People are trying to withhold what they know, their knowledge, because it's valuable. And we don't want to share our value, our, our, our learned knowledge with other people. Because if they find out, they might sell it for more money. He says, so what happened during COVID, he said, was really straightforward. He says, all that knowledge was opened up to everybody. We shared everything. If something landed on someone's desk, they processed it that day and got it off their desk. They knew we were all facing the same challenge. And what used to take you know, years took a matter of weeks. He said, he said human trials started the same day animal trials finished. He said that never happens. And it wasn't we were being careless. We just realized we had to work together. It's amazing what can be achieved when we work together. Humanity is awesome. I believe in the story of the Tower of Babel. You know the story where people, everyone spoke the same language and they created this tower. We're going to build a tower as big as God. We're going to get ourselves to heaven. And, and there in Genesis, God um, saw what he was doing. And he said this, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. And you can read that two ways. God doesn't want people to do things together or realizing what can be achieved when people put to one side their personal preferences and have a common goal and work together for a greater purpose. We are amazing people and we sometimes don't realize how great we are. We're made in the image of God. Look at the person next to you, shove them in the arm gently a little bit and say, you are amazing. Look them in the eyes. You are amazing. I didn't say kiss the person, Trevor. Wow. It's a fact kiss people on both sides. That's more confusing. You are amazing. You are made in the image of God. You all bring something different. I've met many of you this week. We have tried to remember your names. Um, Lottie, I think, has done better than I have. Every single one of you has got an incredible story, an incredible future, and we're blown away by hearing what God has done in your life. Honestly, you are incredible people. And people can achieve the impossible when their God-given gift influences others. What we've been given is not for ourselves. And this is the mistake we make as Christians. Thank you, God, for all you've given me. It's mine. That's when the gift gets ruined. God has given us a gift to give to others. We're a conduit of the glory of God. It's never meant to be we are a receptacle that gets fatter and fatter and fatter. God, give me more. God, give me more. God, give me more. What do you want it for? I just want more. I just want more. I need more. I, I need, I'm having a bad day. I need more. Our gain is for others' benefit. And the day we forget that, the day we realize selfish, we become self-centered. The ministry of the gospel, the gift of Jesus Christ is always for others. 
Everything we do as a church, everything we do as a follower of Jesus should always be for the benefit of others. You coming here this weekend is not for your benefit. It's for the growing of the saints so you can go out from here and make a difference everywhere you go. What did Jesus, uh, God say to Joshua and Joshua chapter 1? Everywhere you place your feet, I'll give you the land. And some of us need to start walking our streets again, realizing we're here to bring a difference, to change the atmosphere, and not just walking down my street to get to the shops or to get to work or to get to the school gate. We're here to bring something different. Jesus wants more from you. What did it say in Matthew chapter 5? This is the message version. Let me tell you why you are here. Oh, I haven't got the verse down. Matthew 5, it, it's in there. Um, it's all right. Uh, it's, a long, it's a very long chapter, a very good chapter. I'm going to find it for you. I have a Bible and everything here. I'm fully equipped. I just don't have the message Bible. That's my dilemma. Matthew 5, verse... It's in there somewhere. It's teaching about salt and light. Verse 13 to 16. That's okay, it's all good. But I want to read the message version, not the New Living Translation, because I love the way, the imagery of the words. And let me just read you the message version from Matthew 5. Let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. It's just different wording, isn't it? It like brings it alive. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness. Think about that. If you lose the very influence you carry, how will others know about the God that's in you? You've lost your usefulness and will end up, it's an American, in the garbage, the trash can. Here's another way to put it, Jesus says. You're here to be light, to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. Here's the thing. Everybody carries the image of God, not just Christians. And I think some of us Christians think we own God. But God made everybody in his image. And there is beauty in everyone. Even in the brokenness and in the poor behavior, there is beauty because they're made in the image of God. They may not know it. That's why when, I remember a few years ago, Lottie and I went to a Coldplay concert. It was so spiritual. It was full of worship as people celebrated incredible creativity. As we gathered with thousands of others in the best stadium in the world, the Etihad Stadium was not the way I was talking about. It was at, wait for it. No, keep guessing. No, you're miles, miles north at this point in time. Hmm? No, but you're closer. Close. Close. Oh, yeah, Emirates. It was. It was the Emirates Stadium. Thank you. I was thinking hybrid in my head. That's how old I am as Nas. We were there in the Emirates Stadium, and we were celebrating God in the middle of a, of a gig. And there was a moment I just stopped myself. I got my hands up in the air. I've got this wristband lighting up colors. The music is incredible. 80,000 people, whatever it was, tens of thousands of people celebrating creativity. God is in here somehow. 
There's something that goes on when people gather. Something goes on when people perform music. There's something that goes on when people create something new. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Let me finish off Matthew 5. Um, God is not a secret to be kept. We are going public with this. As public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. God has filled you with his spirit. And he's calling you to be big. To be visible, to be seen, to change the atmosphere, to bring out the God colors, to go into dark places. You know, the thing that changes darkness is not darkness. It is the, it's the absence of light that makes it dark. Dark doesn't exist without it. It's just nothing. But when we bring lightness into a dark room, everything changes. The reason your eyes see what they see is because of light. It is the light reflecting off things around you. Light changes everything everything and you carry the light of God within you and some of us as Christians we want to hide our faith we're uncomfortable we're embarrassed why is it embarrassing to be a follower of Jesus when did that become a discomfort when did it become a thing that when you go to work on Monday people say what do you do on Sunday you say oh I had a nice roast dinner and people will ask you what do you do this weekend tomorrow and is your answer when I went away with my church. We had a good time. We won a quiz. That'll be about 20 of you because that was our team numbers, apparently. (laughs) But some of you might say, we had an amazing time worshipping Jesus. Do you want me to tell you about it? We had an amazing time learning about how incredible God is and what he's put inside each one of us. Can I tell you my story? Wouldn't it be different if we started standing up tall and shining the light that we've been given in his book, Scattered Servants, um, uh, and a guy called Alan Scott, brilliant book, he said this, the church is not peripheral to the culture. It's essential for the culture. You are a city on a hill. You are the light of the world, raised up in the city, raised up for the city. Listen to this. The city doesn't make sense without the church. And the church doesn't make sense without the city. If we're just a community that have no purpose, we're just singing inside a building, singing some songs, we're here to serve the Great Commission, to go into all the world. There's no world to go into. Then it becomes a bit pointless. The city doesn't make sense without the church. The church doesn't make sense without the city. We are made visible to show forth a model of cultural renewal. We're called to change the atmosphere, to change the culture, That's what the church does through the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. This is so important. The great commission that Jesus gave to us as followers was to go make disciples of all nations. And until that mission is complete, we shouldn't stop. And unless you know something I don't know, I don't think all nations has been fulfilled. It is not to find a handful of people then stop and say, this will do. We're we're created to develop ripples in a pond. Everything we do will affect those around us. And we were sharing some stories earlier, Lottie and I, and we were just saying how um, incredible. I think I was chatting to Dan about people who who years ago have been infected, possibly, affected by what I've done, what I've said. 
unbeknownst to me. Over lockdown, I got a Facebook message from a, a guy in his 30s. He said, you won't remember me. He said, but when I was 13, you let me come and help in the children's program. You were running at Extra Showground. We were, what was it called? Sound of Thunder was the event. And uh, Dan was on the team doing all the tech, I'm guessing, but probably was doing the tech. And this 13-year-old, I did not remember him at all. He, we were running the 8s to 11s. He said, can I come and help you on your team? I don't fit in at the youth program. And I'm like, great, there's always room for more people. This is, I think, before DBS checks was a thing. You know, it's like, yeah, muck in, great. Anyway, 20 plus years later, he gets in touch. And he says, you don't really understand what that did for me. But it changed the trajectory of my life. From that point, I went and served in our children's program. Then I served in the youth program. He said, I went to Bible college, got a theology degree in youth work. I'm now working full time for Youth for Christ. And I just kind of, you came to mind. I wanted to contact you saying thank you for what you did all those years ago. Now, now hear me right. That story is not about me. It's about saying what I did unbeknownst to me was God at work. And, and, and here's the thing that really gets me about those kind of stories. And I've got a few of those, which they kind of, the longer you kick around for, they kind of, you kind of gather a few. Here's the thing. For every story that I could tell you of where I've done good for someone by the words I have used, there's just as much risk that I could have done damage to somebody, but either by the words I used or the words I didn't use. Every person I've helped on their way there might be others that I have actually hindered. And I'm just being real and going, our influence is huge and influence can be used for good or for not. And careful with what we say. Careful with how we treat other people because we know our Heavenly Father is watching. But we may have impact on the people we're talking to that may resonate for generations to come. Every rock you throw creates ripples. Careful what you do with the, what God has given you. He's put something inside of you. It's to be used carefully. It's to be used well. The story of the talents. You know, the story of the talents where people were given different amounts. Just because the guy was given one talent doesn't mean he couldn't do something good with it. And yet he buried it when oh, I've got nothing of value. He could still have used that talent. He could still invest it well, invest in other people. You've all been given something to use. What are you going to do with what you've got. We are designed to be influential. Ephesians 1 reflects those words that Alan Scott said. The church is not... Ephesians 1, 23. The church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is the bride of Christ. And we should see the world through the lens of God's mission here on earth. And sometimes we kind of look at the church from the world's point of view, which might say something about where we put ourselves in the story. But we should be looking at the world through the lens of how can we as a church, a family who love God, bring transformation into our community, our society. We carry something more than a club or a community or a charity. We carry the spirit of God. We carry the spirit of God. Our job is not just to be nice to people. You know, it's great. And I know you do food bank and fair share and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's wonderful. But that's not, that's a connecting point. That's where we start. We don't stop and go, great, now we've done. I have this weird conversation that goes on all the time. Uh, we had the, the mayor of our town recently come and open our center. And so I hear the food bank's going really well. 
You ever had that sort of conversation, Alison, you probably have? It's going really well. You've got lots of people coming for food. I'm like, that's not great. I said, I'm actually hoping one day the food bank will be shut. Because what will happen is we won't need the food bank because instead, neighbours will be loving neighbours and providing for those in need rather than saying to them, oh, here's a voucher. You can go down the road to that church and they'll give you some food. Because we love one another, not we just create projects for others. And that's the purpose, is we're not called to do nice things, to send people, as somebody once said, happy to hell. That's not our job. Our job is to point people to the person of Jesus Christ and saying, you know, if, you know remember the woman at the well, what did Jesus say? I can give you some water that will never run out. I can give you the, the bread of life. I don't want to just feed people. I want to give them spiritual food. I don't want to just help them with their finances. I want to help them understand the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But sometimes people who are desperately hungry, they don't want to hear what you've got to say until you've helped them connect with their actual need at that moment in time. We meet at their place of need. Jesus went to people at their place of need. The blind man on the side of the road didn't want to know about his sins being forgiven. He couldn't see. So God heals him. Jesus heals him and then says, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. That's the story we're called to do, to influence, not with good works, but with faith and works. Uh, where should we go next? We've got a whole bunch of things here. Um, I believe that everyone can influence someone. You all have the ability to influence other people. I know in recent years, there's been this kind of the rise of the influencers. This kind of online space. People who have thousands of followers. They get paid millions of pounds. They probably don't. But that's the kind of story that you can influence people if you've got lots of followers. But I think you can influence people by the way you live your life every single day. You know that moment when you're, um, maybe you don't, maybe you don't do this this way, but maybe you go shopping and you're umming and ahhing, do I buy this product? Or should I buy that one or that one? And there's this moment where the friend you're shopping with or a spouse might go, yeah, go for that one. And you get tipped into making a decision. Or the sales assistant goes, that one's really popular. Or you're standing there and someone goes, oh, you'd look great in that. That's influence. You're influencing someone else's decision about something so basic as what do I buy. I believe everyone can influence somebody. And as Christians, we have this Christ-centered, spirit-filled power to influence other people. Kylie Jenner. Anyone heard of Kylie Jenner? She has 25 million followers. One day, she tweeted. I don't know if you use Twitter or not, but she did. And she said, does anyone use Snapchat anymore, which is another social media platform? That day, Snapchat lost 7%. $1.3 billion in minutes. Because of one person's 160 characters. Did you see Ronaldo, I think it was last year, the 2020 Euros, which is actually 2021, sponsored by Coca-Cola, the whole event, sponsored by Coca-Cola. He sits down for a press talk after a football match. Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the most expensive and well-known football players. And he sits down in front of him at this desk is two bottles of Coca-Cola because it's sponsored by Coke. And the whole thing is happening because of the sponsorship of Coke. He gets the two bottles and he moves them away. He gets a bottle of water, 
And he goes, agua. That's all he says. Coca-Cola's stocks plummets overnight. Because an athlete goes, sugary water's not very good for you. Water is better for you. It's amazing that they're even sponsoring an event, isn't it? When you think about it, this is not a sports drink, Coca-Cola. You know, how have you fooled us for so long? The power of people like that. You might think, well, I've got no ability. I don't have followers. I'm not a football player. I'm not a model. I don't have followers on Instagram or social media. But there's this beautiful African proverb, which I've experienced firsthand. If you think you are too small to make a difference, you haven't spent a night with a mosquito. (laughs) I have done that. In Uganda, where that flag was from, that took us a long time, even though I've been there three times. Um, Yes, uh, the football team are called the Cranes. That's why I remember the picture of the bird in the middle of the flag. There we go, a bit of knowledge for you. But I spent a night underneath a mosquito net. And you remember, I don't know if you've ever done this before. You think, those holes do not look small enough. And there's this thing, there was two or three of them buzzing around the net. And I'm lying there trying to get some sleep, knowing the sun will come up at like 4.30. And it was a Saturday night. And, and the place I go to, Uganda, the, 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 it's a school we, we visit and we support. They start church, where they start rehearsals, worship rehearsals. You'd love this, Mark, because they start at five in the morning. All right? And it's so loud. I mean, the speakers are like crying, saying, please stop it. <laughs> And at five in the morning, they start practicing. And, and the meeting's meant to start at nine o'clock. And by the time we get there, the Westerners arrive. They've already been worshipping, stamping their feet. You know, like five or six hundred young people going for it. It's amazing. So I know that my time is precious because I'm going to be up very soon with the sounds of joyful singing. And there's this mosquito buzzing around. And I couldn't sleep because of something so small. We have huge influence you can make a massive difference. If you don't think so, try this. Try smiling at your colleagues at work. Not the weird smile. It's a bit awkward. But just start being a bit more friendly. It's amazing how the atmosphere will start to change. I I used to do this thing at work where I, I decided that I didn't want to wear a suit and tie. I worked in a printing firm for three years. And I didn't want to um, dress up on a Friday. So I started wearing just a T-shirt and jeans. And what was weird was after about three or four weeks, everybody did it. I thought, this is fun. I wonder how far we could go. Maybe a fancy dress. I don't know. But we all carry influence. You know, smiling, sending, sending handwritten cards, dropping a handwritten card to someone in need or someone who's going up against things. Don't just fire them off a text or an email or something. Go round there. Buy their favourite, whatever it might be, and show interest in somebody. Uh, give your kids some of your time. You know, we've been getting messages last night from our girls, and we're going to try and shoot off as soon as we can uh, this morning after we finish our next session, because they're going, we're missing you. I'm missing you. She's 17 and 13, and I'm like, we miss them. And I want to go home not just to be in the same house, but to be with them, because it means a lot. You don't have them with you for very long. How do you spend time with your children? How do you offer help someone and genuinely mean it? You know when people offer you help, but they're walking past as they say it. Do you want any help with that? And you're thinking, oh, you're not really meaning it. Can I help you with that? Stop, pause. We, these things, these tiny things can make huge influence. Tip people generously. Ouch. You don't know someone's story. 
Um, Lottie had this moment. I mean, you're probably better off telling the story. Actually, you come tell the story because I've done a lot of talking. Yeah, yeah. They, come, Lottie. She doesn't even know what the story is. So this is amazing. <laughs> uh, last week, you and uh, Ruthie in the restaurant with the with the little the girl, the waitress. Oh, oh yes, it's a good one. Oh, yes. So I went out with my friend who is an amazing, she's just very extrovert and she won't p pass anybody by. She just always says hello. And we're walking through the town centre. She stops everybody that's just sort of on the street, you know, anybody selling the biggest shoe and she'll say, do you know Jesus? And we'll pray for them. It's just such a great experience going out with her. And last week we went and had a cup of coffee in this coffee shop and she did it again and we were having coffee and this young girl came to service and she said, there's something so beautiful about you. She said, and I've made a, I, I've made a deal with myself. Whenever I see somebody beautiful, I'm not just going to think it, I'm going to tell them. So she was saying to this girl, do you know, you are so beautiful. And this young girl, she's 17 or so, and she just broke down. She said, I just really needed to hear that today. And my friend said, can we pray for you? And we were sitting there and praying for this young waitress. And it was just such an amazing experience. And I think it really blessed this girl. And she kept coming back to find us. And she said, I'm going to tell my mum and dad that I've met you. It was just amazing. And it was just an everyday thing. And it's made me feel like I want to be more brave. Like you're saying, I want to be, I don't want to just walk past people. If I think something encouraging, I just want to go up and tell them. And it takes, it takes bravery. Actually, it's easier if you're out of your hometown, isn't it, sometimes? And you don't know them it's easier um but yeah it was a great opportunity just to just to witness to this young girl and who knows who knows what will happen with that yeah. and the beautiful thing those sort of stories it's not really down to us what happens next our job is to play the part our job is respond to the holy spirit to say what we need to say to speak out and not just go oh, i wish i'd done such and such but those little small things those tiny things using people's names Looking in the eyes when you're speaking to them. Those small things make a huge difference. To listen properly to people when they're speaking. It's so important. Turn your phone off when you're eating with other people. <laughs> Those kind of things. If you think you don't have any influence whatsoever, I always say this to people, but then I always add some sort of a clause on this one. Um, please don't do it. If you think you have no influence whatsoever, then drive in the middle of your town, drive in the middle of Huddersfield, Park your car across all the traffic and then go for a coffee. When you come back, you'll have no car. There'll be a lot of upset people, but you've had huge influence. You'll be on local news. Please don't do that. But everyone can influence someone. Jesus said, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. We should be influential. Um, I'm buzzing through here because a whole lot of things. Right, let me leave us this on Luke chapter 4. It's why I really wanted to start. We've just, there's so much we could talk about. Here we go. This is the Jesus moment. So Jesus in Luke 4 verse 14 onwards. Um, so this is Jesus who has just been through, he's been baptised by his cousin John the Baptist. And there's that moment, incredible moment, where the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. And you have, the, you have the Trinity all together in this beautiful moment where the voice of God said, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And, and what, what, what is happening in that moment is that God is saying, because um, that phrase would mean something to a Jewish listener. Um, the, 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 uh, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, is what would be used by a businessman when he takes his son to market 
And he would say to all the market traders who he would deal with, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. What he's saying is, he has my full favor. If you trade with my son, it's as if you're trading with me. He carries the same authority, the same power as the father. Does that make sense? So when the son comes to market and wants to buy some products, and they say, well, I don't recognize you. I only deal with your dad. No, it's changed. Suddenly, the son carries the same authority as the dad. So when the father God says over his son, Jesus, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, those watching the baptism of Jesus, oh, he carries the same authority as God the father. He carries the same anointing. His words are God's words in his mouth. And so he goes from there, and you know what happens, Luke 4, he, he has this temptation moment, three tests that take place over 40 days and 40 nights. And then he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. And, and I think it's a powerful moment of, of influence where Jesus returns to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power, verse 14, reports about him, spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue of the Sabbath on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. So Jesus basically is doing a, a, a preaching tour. And he's going around the region of Galilee and the synagogues, every village would have a synagogue. It would probably be smaller than this room. Uh, you'd, you'd have these sort of like seating around on three sides and there'd be like a pulpit kind of thing at the front with a, a stack of scrolls behind the pulpit. And people would all take turns to share and tell stories. It was like the, the community would gather on Sabbath, on the Saturday, and tell their stories. And so it'd be really common for people to come and stand up and to read scripture, although not many of them would be able to read the scripture. So it was exclusive who could do it. So he would go to the front there, he came to the synagogue in his boyhood home. And uh, verse 17, the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. So that would be the, the priest, the local priest, handed the scroll to Jesus. He unrolls the scroll and found the place where it was written. Now, I need to explain this to you because um, they didn't have books with leaves, you know, with, with pages. It was a scroll where the whole of Isaiah would be written. All right. It's pretty. I mean, Isaiah's got 66 chapters. They wouldn't have had chapters, but there was a, there was 66. He went to 61. So I'm quite. He was quite determined at that point. He's unrolling this scroll to get to one particular point. I had to flick through just now to find what verse Matthew 5 was. It took me a couple of moments. Jesus was unscrolling, and everyone watching going, seriously, get this guy to hurry up. And he gets to Isaiah 61, and he says this in verse 18, Luke, Luke 4. He says these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolls up the scroll, scroll having read four verses. <laughs> Rolls it up, hands it back to the attendant and sits down. And another thing we need to understand here is when you sit down, this is a, it's not a concept we understand. Look for the times Jesus sits down. When Jesus sits down, that's when the teaching begins. 
So in, in Jewish uh, culture, the person seated would be the teacher and everyone would gather around. We did the whole way around in our culture. I would sit and you would all stand and go, wow, wisdom is going to come from the seated one. And that's what Jesus, you think, look at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus sits down before he preaches the sermon. And it's, so this moment he rolls up the scroll and he sits down and then all eyes in the synagogue looked to him intently. Then he began to speak to them. So he's read the scripture, he's sat down, and now he's waiting for the line. I mean, this is like Jesus' big moment. And he says these words, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. If he was carrying a microphone, (laughs) it's that moment. It's like, you've all heard Isaiah for 700 years. I've just fulfilled it in your presence kaboom <laughs> walking out the door <laughs> gotta go see mary you know it's like wow what just happened jesus saying the spirit of god is on me i'm anointed bringing good news we are going to proclaim that captives will be released blind will see the oppressed will be set free god's favor has come that was the moment he does that. But here's the beautiful thing. That when Jesus gives the, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he refers back to what happened in Luke chapter 4, or what happened in Luke, uh, in Luke 3 where the, the Spirit of God descends and God the Father said, this is my son with whom I will please. All authority is given to him. Jesus then says in Matthew 28, all authority is from heaven and earth is being given to me. Therefore, he says... His disciples, therefore, you go and make disciples. You preach the good news. You go into all the world. And, God, and there's, this like, there's this journey, which we haven't got time to go into, but, but God says, this is my son. He's fully empowered to speak on my behalf. And then the son, Jesus, says to all his disciples, the followers, these are my disciples. These are my new sons. And they fully carry the same authority that my Father God gave to me when I was baptized. And I'm now giving it to you. And I'm giving you a full permission to go into the world to make disciples and preach the good news and the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing when I think about the disciples. You are all sitting here today because one of those disciples told someone else. And that person told someone else. And that person told someone. You might know who the person that told you. Who told your parent, your grandparent, your friend, your colleague. You're here because of someone who took the message of Jesus from the lips of the apostles to the followers of Jesus who then spread the word of God. Philip and the Ethiopian. You know the stories of Paul planting all the churches around you know, Asia Minor and all those things that were going on. You're here today because somebody told somebody told somebody told somebody. That's influence. And your job, your job is to tell someone else. Your job is to be influence, to be the carrier of the Holy Spirit, to bring good news to the poor, to say, I want to break the chains of the captives around me. I want to bring a difference that the blind will see, the poor will be set free. The time of God's favor has come. And the time for us to wrap this up has come as well let me leave you with a beautiful poem 
from, they say Mother Teresa, but apparently it wasn't her, but she made it famous. It says this, it's in our toilet wall at home. Not, not my iPad, that's just weird. Uh, <laughs> this is on a page, it says this, people are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you'll win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you're honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have. It will never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. It's beautiful, isn't it? Influence is not about creating some sort of trophy cabinet for yourself. Do you know what I did today? Do you know how amazing I am? Our treasures will be in heaven where moths and rust will never destroy. And when we get there, our father will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Our job is not to do good works. We put on social media so people go, wow, like, 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 retweet. But because it's what our father calls us to do. And our job is to make a difference to those around us, to be influential, to change the environment we are in. We are meant to be the bride of Christ. Remember we said that yesterday, to be beautiful, to be ready for the return of our husband, Jesus Christ, the bridegroom. And we need to be a great, beautiful, gorgeous church, ready for that moment. Um, We need to wrap up because coffee time is coming in about 30 seconds. Let's stand. Let me pray for us. Father God, it was never meant to be about buildings or systems or programs. The church was never meant to be a busy activity of good works. It was never about websites or brands or apps. It's about you, about you, Jesus, about loving you, worshipping you, following you, learning to walk your way, become more like you so that we could point others to you as well. And help others see the gift you give to each one of us. Your creation. Your access to heaven. You are are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes comes to the Father except through you. Lord, we want to be people that follow you. Be like you. And transform our neighborhood and our community. To love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love our neighbors as ourselves. The message is simple. The task is difficult. 
And I want to pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would fill us anew to make a difference, to bring change, to start on the inside, but it would never stay there. So to affect the outside, that our inner man will be transformed to become more like you. So the world we serve and participate in gets changed, not because of us, but because the Holy Spirit, the hope of glory, Jesus Christ himself working through us so that we see broken hearts restored, lives transformed, relationships healed, and families made whole. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you.